Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You took my boy away from me. You left him in that place to die. You faked his death. We had a funeral. We buried him. And now you're asking for my help? Go to hell. Everybody, I'm Rima, and I'm Sean, and this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today, we'll be covering the eighth and final episode from season one, titled Chapter Eight: The Upside Down. Oh my gosh, we made it! It's the finale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. This was such a great episode it was it was a really good episode for finales it was really good oh yeah it, it had i think everything that you would want in a finale so that's awesome are you ready to jump into our top five let's do it so for my number five uh it kind of ties into the hunting montage that they put together and what i've i titled it home alone lost in the upside down <laughs> So you have Nancy and, and Jonathan building this Home Alone-esque trap for the monster, for the demigorgon. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get all the goods. They put their, you know, bear trap out. They put the gasoline on the floor so that the, when it comes through, they're going to light it on fire. They got the gun ready. He's building a bat with nails. Like, he's building, like, a <laughs> Negan bat times yes. two. That's what I called it, the Negan bat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, like, this whole thing's going on, and you're on edge. You know, like, Oh, and the one thing that was really – so whenever they cut their hand, anytime I see this, I always think about how difficult that is to do. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine somebody just putting a knife to their hand and cutting it. Like, that would hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. But they do it. They do it, They do it, and they kind of spread some blood around, and we get a cute little moment of Jonathan and Nancy. She's wrapping his hand. She touches it. And who comes along and almost ruins the day? <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> My favorite man, boy, guy, I don't know, he's like, he's probably like 30 in real life. 
but Steve, Steve comes knocking on the door and he, and you know, again, he's got to, he's got to play, you know, tug at my heartstrings Mm -hmm. because he's coming to Jonathan's house, not, not to pick a fight, to apologize. I know. And you know, when Nancy comes to the door, like he's like, Oh, what, what are you doing here? And like, he wasn't mad until he saw like her cut. He's like, did he do that to you? Like he kind of freaked out in that moment. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He sees the bear trap. He probably smelled the gasoline. And Nancy's like, pull, she, Nancy pulls the gun on him. He's like, you better get out of here. I'm going to shoot <laughs> she, you. She meant business. <laughs> but, I mean, could you imagine Steve in that moment? Like, he's coming to this house. He's trying to be a nice guy, apologize. And all of a sudden, he's in this, like, terror house. Like, he's about to get shot. He sees a bear trap. There's a lighter. Like, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. The Christmas lights are flickering yes. like crazy. <laughs> And, you know, by the time he gets his bearings, like, oh, God, she's actually going to shoot me. I'm going to run out the door. This thing just crashes through the ceiling. That was crazy. It was. And I, the other note I have on this is, you know, this home alone lost in the upside down. The Demigorgon's fairly smart. Yeah. So he tries to track him. And I don't know if he lost the scent of him. So he's like, okay, I'm leaving. Or if he knew it was a trap. And he right. decides to leave town. Yeah, I wondered about that myself. I was like, you know, because they were waiting in the room, and they're ready with the, you know, ready to to light them up, and they're watching the the yo-yo string, and it's like, well, what happened? And they come out, and they're creeping down the hall. You see them kind of peering around the, you know, the side there, peeking into the living room, and um, it's like, yeah, was he too smart for them? What happened? Because um, he's not hiding anywhere. Um, that was that was freaky. But you see. You know, so he runs away and like they, they, they end up not seeing anybody there. So Steve's like, okay, well, screw this. I'm leaving. And again, you know, maybe Steve the D is going to be my favorite character at this point because <laughs> as he's leaving, he's scared and he sees the lights flickering. He's like, oh shit, it's coming back. You know, he's like, I got to go save my girl. She's my girl. Even though we're having a little rough spell right now. No, she's pointing guns at me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on a little bit of a rocky road here, but I can save it. <laughs> you know, he runs back in and he does some damage with that bat. Yeah, he, he does. Did. So, I mean, like, I think of a, a dude, like, fighting this thing with a bat. You know, he has a couple good swings, but then he does a nice little, like, uh, flip with it. Like, he, like, twirls it in his hand like it's a baton and goes in for the kill to the Demigorgon. Yeah, I think he played baseball. He 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 had a way with that bat that Nancy sure didn't when she was swinging <laughs> it in her driveway point. or her carport. Um yeah, it looked like he it wasn't his first day holding a bat, that's for sure. But to kind of kick off this whole thing, there's like this you know, there's bits of it throughout the episode and it even ties into more stuff in the episode, but it's really just that, you know, monster hunt actually coming to fruition. Yeah, they finally um after, you know, the whole process of when they were at the army surplus store and you know, they're buying all that stuff and they get questioned by the clerk and it's like, oh, we're monster hunting and, you know, that whole thing. Um, then they're at the police station. Hopper finds their stash and actually, I guess, gave it back to them somehow. Or else, Well, no, wait, they went no, back to the station. Yeah, they went back they? to yep, the station yep, and yep, stole that's it right. back. I had yeah. to correct myself. Yep, you're right. Um, uh, but, you know, getting their stuff back and, you know, determined to kill this thing, um, or at least Nancy is because she's out for revenge and to get some justice for Barb. I don't know if you've seen that hashtag. <laughs> I have, but Justice yeah. for Barb. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, she's on a mission, and and she was really, not that she hasn't been throughout this season, I don't think, but Nancy's really been, I mean, she was on a damn mission. She's pointing that gun at Steve, and she's counting down, and she's, I really thought for a moment, I thought, she might shoot him. I had the, I I don't know if, 
I was concerned that maybe she would like shoot past him early, right. like go like five, four, bang. Right. But no, like, she was r- continually counting down. That was like, uh, Steve, get the hell out of there. I know. The Demi, the Demi Gorgon actually might have saved Steve's life. It might. Ha- yeah, it might have. I think he should be, you know, a little bit grateful there for that uh, little interruption that it distracted her off of him and onto it because I, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe not shot him, but I think that she would have like aimed it right past his head or whatever and fired right behind him or something, or maybe fired it in the air or something. Well, and she doesn't, she doesn't know that he was cleaning up all the, the name calling that was going on out there. So she might've aimed for something a little bit more sensitive. She might, she might be out for a little bit of justice for Nancy at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> just for, you know, slut shaming her, um, or at least allowing his friends, I should say, to slut shame her. Um, but that I think is um, makes you just as guilty if you are complicit and you don't stop your friends from doing it. That I'm sorry, I think makes you just as guilty. Um, but yeah, maybe she was looking out for a little bit of her own justice too. But yeah, I, I that whole monster hunting really. I thought that was interesting that, you know, Nancy and Jonathan's plans with the lights, because you see him, you know, all the lights had been taken out, the little light bulbs from the Christmas lights, because Hopper was thinking they're bugged, you know, or, or something could be bugged. So they're putting all the bulbs back in there. They had cut their hands and they had put blood on the floor um, to trap or to draw in the Demigorgon. They, they've they got gasoline. They're, they're putting gasoline on the carpet to set it on fire. They're not messing around here. They are dead serious about causing some damage to this monster. I know, but oh my gosh, <laughs> lighting your house on fire? I mean, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I feel like that's, well, you know. It's already got a hole in it, so let's put some burn marks on the walls. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. It already needs some remodeling, so, you know, why not just add some new carpet and some new uh, walls as well since, you know, um, yeah, since... Uh, uh, who, Joyce did some little remodeling of her own, but the only problems that I think that I kind of had with some of that, that like Nancy can load a gun and she handled that gun. Like she had handled a gun before, which she did. She did shoot better than she handled the gun or the bat. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Cause I'm like, who, 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 you know, fucking Ted did not teach her no, to shoot yeah. a gun. <laughs> So well, I wonder did... if, I mean, they kind of alluded to them like target shooting. So maybe she went through more rounds than just what we saw. I mean, that's mm. kind of, you have to kind of infer what happened, but that, that's yeah, probably the possibility camera. there. I guess that's possible. But just the whole concept of how she was like badass with the with the gun, but the girl can't swing a bat just kind of was like, okay, whatever. Um, and then the whole idea of like lighting your house on fire. I know that they weren't intending on burning the house down, but I thought, well, you can't control that once it happens. I mean, you think you can control it, but you don't know what might happen. Um, and then just like a really gross moment when the Demigorgon was um, had gotten Jonathan and trapped him on the floor and oh, had its yes. like hand on his chest, and that goopy, slimy stuff got in Saliva, Jonathan's mouth. Yeah. Jonathan's first kiss was with a demi gorgon. Gross. <laughs> that was that just ugh, gave me the creepy crawlies. I mean that yeah. I, I just can't handle ugh. Reminded me of like, you know, the sloppy kissers back in high school. It's like, oh like when you're learning to kiss. Yeah. <laughs> or like you're doing okay, but the person that you're kissing is not such a great kisser and they're like real <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> 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 like your That's face funny. is all wet. <laughs> That's what it was like, and that's the yeah, face he made much. too. 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that was great. You're a great kisser. <laughs> and you kind of turn your head and you start like, wiping your face. <laughs> yeah. Do the whole sleeve move. <laughs> Trying to be real slick about it, like not what hurt their feelings. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, gosh. High school and middle school kisses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's. I like that you brought that up. You had really good points. That monster hunting was my number three, so those were my notes on it. That's really good. Do you have anything else about nope, that? Nope. That's that's pretty much my uh, my number five. <clears throat> awesome. Well, my number five is the interrogations, which was during the cold open, um, which this show consistently has, in my opinion, really great cold opens throughout. I really loved them. They, I think, have a way of really drawing you in. Like, if you didn't already want to see the episode, you know, from how the prior episode ended, because I think that you always do when they end them. You're like, oh, my God, i got to see what happens next. If that's not enough to draw you in, those cold opens, I feel, do the job. Um, I I found that the interrogations, they were both very different, but also had some very similar moments. And, like, the same moments that they both shared, Joyce and Hopper, both of them were very defiant. Um, yeah, to their I kind of, I almost made it the uh, comparison like good cop, bad cop. Like they were trying to yeah. good cop uh, Joy or Joyce, but they were kind of bad copping Hopper. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's a good point um, because they were being very um, trying to be uh, trying to reason, I should say, with with Joyce. And trying to get her, you know, on their side and make them make her understand what they're doing, and but she still remained very defiant. Hopper was being very defiant um, to them as well. You know, Joyce is handcuffed to the chair. Hopper's getting tased like three times. Dude, ah, strong guy, strong guy. He's a big yeah. strong guy. Um, but I, I really loved Joyce and her fierceness. When she was like telling Doctor, I was really kind of surprised that Doctor Brenner was like t- he told her a lot of information. I mean, he was like telling her about the monster. Uh, you know, well, you know, well, we don't really know what it is, and but you know, it's an animal and it's predictable. And I thought, wow, he's really kind of laying his cards on the table a little bit here, which I found interesting. But Man Joyce was not having it. She was just like, you know, I know who you are. I know all about you. You were going to leave my boy in there. Uh, you you know, whatever that body thing was, you know, made him think that that was Will. She's like, we had a funeral for him. Oh, man, she was fierce, and she wasn't having it. Do you think he was kind of sharing that information because he wasn't expecting those two to get out of there alive? Like, either they were going to kill him, but before Hopper made the deal, like, he's like, oh, you guys want to go in the upside down? Like, okay, yeah, we'll make that deal because nobody's coming out of that alive. Yeah, well, I don't know that he thought that when he was talking to Joyce, but I mean, I think it's, I don't know that they were prepared to let them go at that, at that point. And that's why maybe he was willing to be a little bit more forthcoming with that information and what he knew. Um, But I just, you know, yeah, that, that, that's some good insight. That's something to chew on because I was like, wow, why are you? And I think that maybe he was like, if he, maybe his strategy was like, if I'm open with her she'll be agreeable with me, which I'm not quite sure what they wanted from them because I think at that point they were, you know, at least the the government people, the people hiding things are not wanting them to tell what was going on. And um, so I don't know that it, it just that. Yeah, I think that is probably a pretty good explanation, better than anything I could come up with because I was just kind of surprised. But what do you think Hopper's head was at? Because he was like so stoic. 
because he's like he was like almost like robotic he's like you're going to let her go you know we're gonna get will you know what what do you think that agreement was and why do you where do you think he was at I don't I mean I think the agreement was that by giving it seems like he gave up 11. That's my interpretation of this whole thing is that he said okay this is where the kids are but you leave the three boys alone, you're going to leave us alone. We're going to go in and get Mike or we're going to go in and get Will from the upside down and you're not going to stop us do that. You're going to give us everything we need. You can have the girl, you can have your science experiment and then once we get Will and we get out of here, we're going to forget this whole thing happened. And so I kind of wonder it, since everything worked out the right way for him, you know, 11 got away, but is, is, is that what basically is going to save him from being a bad guy? Like Hopper. I mean, he, I think I really believe he gave up L like, do he, you think so? Do you think he was I turning so. Lando like Dustin said? <laughs> Pretty Lando. much. Yeah. But not, but he's doing it for, for good reasons. He's not like doing it for himself. He's doing it for will and the other people. Cause I think, I mean, they already know that these people are willing to sac like make it look like somebody died you know, with Will, like they're going to fake that death all the way through. And even at this point they had, you know, we're talking about like, Oh, you're just a junkie cop who, you know, couldn't handle a bad week. Uh And they were getting ready to drug him and make it look like he had an overdose. Like we talked about that early on. Like, we're like, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, they were going to do that here. And so I don't think Hopper was saving himself in that moment. He's like, okay, well, if they're going to do this to me, they're going to figure out how to kill Joyce. They're going to figure out how to kill the boys. They're going to figure out how to sweep this whole thing under the rug. And so I need to do something to help, you know, keep all of us alive. And the bad thing, it, you know, it's basically the, 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 I don't know if you call it the worst of two evils, but basically saying, like, I have to give up L to make sure that the, the rest of us can go on living. Interesting, because, and I think that's a valid point. However, I'm wondering, and I know that he obviously had to have given them up, like tell them where um, Eleven is, because they went straight to the school. So obviously... Um, he did tell them, but I was wondering if he did it to one, get what they wanted him and Joyce to be able to go into the upside down and get will kind of get him out of their hair so they can go do what they need to do. But I think that he might've yes, betrayed them and told them where um, 11 and the boys were. But I think that he did it knowing that 11 could use her power to stop them. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm, that's why I'm kind of curious about like, we don't have to wait a year to figure that out because this comes out <gasps> season two comes out so soon. Thank God. But I mean, they went right to where he said, like if, if he was doing that, like maybe he would have said, Oh, they're actually in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Cause they just lucked out that, you know, Dustin wanted to go and get some pudding. You know, that's what <laughs> saved them from being trapped almost. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about how that's going to play out. If it even will. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I'm hoping we find out what this whole agreement was and if he really did, you know, I'm just trying to remain positive because I can't believe my Hopper would be a bad guy. And to, like, I know how desperate he was to find Will and, you know, help Joyce because I think with everything that we saw in this episode, and I'll talk about a little bit later, like when we found out about his daughter and I think how helpless he was in that situation that he was willing to do what it took to get will because he could and save him because he couldn't save his daughter that, um, you know, I think that, yes, we saw him turn on 11 and give her up. However, I think that he was also, he knows what she can do. And I, I'm just trying to hold out hope that yes, he did it, but he knew that like 11 would, would come out of it. Okay. That she would somehow 
either get away or be able to defend herself against them and that they wouldn't get her, which in the end they didn't, but you know, you don't know that for sure. I think that was what he was hoping for the best. Possibly. I mean, I'm just trying to be positive because I can't think, I can't think of him being bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if, if they go that route, I kind of feel like that's kind of a a semi cop out. Cause I think in the real world, you're going to make decisions in life that, you know, aren't a hundred percent like good guy. You know, there's like this, I feel like is like a 75, 25 type thing. Like, you know, we could all go down in a blaze of glory or most of us can survive and they can take back this girl that basically is theirs anyway. Like somehow they've, you know, it's their experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, we can all die or, you know, we can all live. Even Elle, she'll live because they don't want to kill her. And so I feel like that's kind of more of like a realistic thing that may happen. Um, well, I mean, I think we'd all like to say we'd be like, oh, we'd be super, you know, heroes and, you know, do X, Y, and Z. But, you know, sometimes you got to make a decision that doesn't benefit everybody. I mean, it's true. You do make a really valid point. And it does certainly make um, the character, like, more human uh, than, you know, just believing that everything is um, rainbows and unicorns, um, which I don't always believe that. But it's, you know, it's because it's Hopper. It I is just, Hopper, yeah. You know, I hate to – I just <laughs> I, I, it, I just can't bear to think of him that way. So I'm really interested to see if we find out that information because we, we saw, you know, they let him go and he's back. Like, they came and got him uh, at the hospital after, you know, Will was, um, found and they're at the hospital and he comes out those doors and then you see them come after him. They, he he gets in the car and he leaves. Well, he's not gone forever because we do see him in the end. Um, so it's like, what is that all about? (laughs) It's like, what the hell happened? What, what was this agreement? What did, what's he doing? You know, is he working? You know, I don't know. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I, I get some answers, but um, in season two, but that's that's where I'm at. But that was my number five was just all the interrogations and and the agreement and with Hopper and him, you know, like turning on the kids or or eleven anyway, and you know what that was all about. So that's all I have to yeah. say. And that was actually my number four. I kind of called it Hops making a deal. Because it seems like in this whole thing, like to, for them to get in the upside down, he made some kind of deal, which we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like at the end of the episode or near the end of the episode, we see him get picked up by the government officials and we have no clue what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of tag on to your number four was my number four of Hop's deal. It's awesome. Do you have anything else to say about that? Said not re- yeah, not really. I mean, the main thing I think I still could, could kind of talk a little bit more about was you know, the whole thing of them wanting to fake is suicide. So I think that just kind of shows that yeah. how serious these people are about covering it up. And I think Hop did a great job. And that's what made him a little nervous because you could kind of sense it when they were tasing him. Like, they were desperate. They were reaching for straws. Cause like, yeah. was like, you guys messed up, and you messed up big. Like, you know, this was not supposed to get out. And now you guys are, like, trying to cover up anything and everything you did. And, you know, he has knowledge of where the people are and or where the kids are. And he has, you know, he wants to get into the upside down to save Will. So it's like, listen, we're going to go in here. We may or may not come out like you guys don't care. But if we do, we're going to not talk about this whatsoever. We're going to forget this ever happened. And then you can go and have L. Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, I think it did kind of scare him because it's completely believable. I mean, when we first saw him, he woke up like hung over or strung out you know, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, you know, he wakes up and there's just beer cans everywhere. You see pill bottles, you know, kind of spilled over and, you know, nobody would really question it if they drugged him up. 
And, you know, and clearly they have like the state cops covering, you know, shit up too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the state cops were the ones that found, you know, in quotes, Will's body um, and, you know, getting rid of the coroner for the night and them doing their own autopsy that didn't really happen. Um, So, I mean, clearly he knows that, you know, they could drug him up, make it look like a suicide or an accidental overdose, even either on purpose or accidental. Um, Because, yeah, he's, you know, it's been rough, uh, you know, Will's. Um, disappearance weighing on him and stuff um, is completely plausible and nobody would really question it. You know, they'd all, especially freaking Huey and Dewey on, you know, on patrol and being like, Oh, well, you know, well, that was Hopper. Um, You know, nobody's going to investigate and they're not going to question anything. So, so yeah, I think he, he definitely knew that uh, he wasn't going to serve any purpose being dead. Yeah, no, that's, and maybe that's where it's going to kind of come back to is, because, I mean, we've seen him numerous times do things that, like, it's like, why is he doing, like, when he was drinking, it's like, why are you drinking on the job? Oh, he's investigating the person that found Will's body. And yeah. like this, maybe it's like, well, why is he doing that? Oh, because he understands that with him being dead, it's not going to help everybody here. So him surviving can help, every, you know, live one more day kind of scenario. Yeah, and, and everything, that, like, if he dies and it's all of his knowledge dead with him, too. Exactly, because in, yeah. And who can, who can expose what's going on because yeah he can say you know we'll forget that it ever happens but you know that could just be something he's saying for now you know um until he feels maybe things quiet down and then do you he think can use that power or that knowledge do you think there do you think there really was a times reporter that has all this information or do you think that was a, a straight up bluff i don't know i i don't know i think it was a bluff but i mean it wouldn't surprise me yeah i true. mean it would be you know, this is kind of Sean, you know, his, his, uh, you know, storytelling writing coming out, but <laughs> like, how awesome would it be that if he kind of like Rorschacked it and has like this, you know, thing that he's sending to his ex-wife or mother of his daughter mm-hmm. and she's a writer in New York. Like they lived in Chicago, I think they lived in Chicago before, but she got married, moved to New York and she's the New York times writer. So there actually is some validity to that. Interesting. Well, you never know. I mean, maybe he's got his own little cover-up and conspiracy going on his own, you know? I mean, we, we, we've seen Hopper's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he's not a dummy, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, good. my number four just ties into your number five. It's kind of Hop's deal. Oh, Hopper. If you're listening, David Harbour, we love you, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my number four uh, is Hopper's daughter. So it's kind of short and sweet, super sad. Um, so we finally got to to see the mystery throughout. You know, we knows we know that he had a daughter. We know something happened, whether she was either still alive or if she was dead. Um, but we finally got to see what happened. It absolutely broke my heart. I think his portrayal of of you know a father losing a child was so believable. Um, oh, and heartbreaking. Yes. Oh my gosh. I and both of them did a really great job, but it, you know, I think we saw it focus more on him and his struggle with it. So we finally got to see what happened. You know, you can see that she, you know, they're they're playing in the park. She is you know, coming down like she's coming down with something or whatever, but it turns out she's really ill and, you know, apparently has cancer, but you see her with her cute little bald head, you know, in the hospital. So sad and he's reading to her and, you know, he's just trying to stay strong for her in that moment and, and read to her, but then you see him breaking down in the stairwell. Ugh. I mean, that, ugh, I couldn't hardly take it. <laughs> it was yeah. I mean, maybe. like we, we talked about like when we, they found Will's body and like it, 
like really hit me hard. Yeah. This was the same thing. Like, you know, you, you see those, like, there used to be the movie theater here. They had a, uh, I can't remember what it was. It's like the children's hospital mm-hmm. for stuff like that. And they were like, hey, you know, we're doing this thing here, you know, if you want to donate. And you see all those families and the struggle they go through. And it's like, I cannot, I don't even want to know what it's like to be a parent who has to go through that. Uh-uh. And I think David Harbour, like his, like act, like that could be like a, a short film, what they put together there. Cause you go from like them playing in the park and you can just see the love and how much he cares for his daughter. And mm-hmm. it looks like she has an asthma attack and you're like, Oh crap. Like, you know, and we think we know she dies at this point. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, well maybe she died from an asthma attack. And like, Oh my God, it's even worse. Like he, has to go through the whole pain of her slowly going, you know, trying to fight this disease and not being able to pull. Yes. And like, they're there in the moment it happens. And like, you know, Oh my God. Like I can't even imagine being in that situation. Cause like how helpless you would feel. It's like, you're, you know, this kid, this, you know, basically the love of your life is sitting there and you're just like, you can't do anything. No, you're completely powerless. You know, it's and like the stairwell thing. Like I can imagine any parent going through that, like just, I mean, what else can you do but find a place to be alone and just not even want to exist anymore? I know. It, I mean, it's like every parent's worst nightmare. Anybody that's a parent can relate or, well, maybe not relate and think in the same situation, but like empathize and think, you know, that how awful it would be, you know, to have to be in that same situation and to be so helpless. And I think that that really tells you a lot about, you know, Hopper this whole season and his drive that when, I mean, at least whenever Will goes missing now in the beginning, you know, you see he's just kind of phoning it in, you know, um, coffee and contemplation, you know. Exactly, and he's just, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, once Will uh, disappears and Joyce is all on fire and trying to get him on board, like, you know, you have to help me. He's missing. He didn't run away. He's not just out goofing off, you know, with his friends or something. He Something has, like, legit happened to him. You have to believe me. Uh, and then once he starts asking questions or some of the things that he starts to see and uncover, then you see this drive. And it's like, now you know why he has that, or at least in my opinion, why he has that. He, you know, thinks that he can find Will and save Will like he can't, like he couldn't save his own daughter. You saw how helpless he was. He couldn't do anything. You cannot, you know, fight your kid's cancer for them, you know. And, and I think if he could have, he would have. But, you know, you can't fight it for them. And, you know, feeling completely helpless that you're at the mercy of doctors and the drugs and the treatments to try to make him better. And you can't do anything that this I think he felt like he could actually do something. And um, so I thought it was it was nice to see, uh, you know, where that kind of came from um, and where that drive came from and why he really took to it. Because it's like, you know, it this kind of went above doing his job, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he didn't, he wasn't just like doing his job as the chief of police and investigating. He was like, he was in it. He was going full measures. And, yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure the upside down is not in his jurisdiction. <laughs> right. Well, breaking into the, uh, you know, the the uh, the the facility, uh, you know, yeah, dropping the guards like flies, you know, and yeah, going into the upside down and. You know, everything that he's done has certainly been above and beyond the call of duty. So it kind of, I think this, what happened in his past has helped explain his drive and his purpose and feeling like he has a purpose because it felt, I'm sure after all of that, I mean, obviously he's not with his wife anymore. Something obviously, you know, their marriage failed after the death of their child. It didn't survive. And, you know, he's probably feeling like, you know, he's just, he's just 
floating through his day, you know, and just getting through the day and getting through another day. And now this is something he can bite into and give him purpose again. And um, so I, I thought that was kind of nice to see that. So that's, that's my number four. Well, your number four and just like your number five is rolling right into my number three. So <laughs> um, mine was, uh, I called it breathe in, breathe out. Um, so, you know, as Joyce and uh, Hopper are going through the upside down, Joyce starts hyperventilating. He just starts repeating like, hey, I need you to take deep breaths, mm-hmm. breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And then they cut to the scene with his daughter. And I mean, we've already kind of touched on a lot of it. Uh, but the main thing I noticed, too, in this is that, again, I, it, again, I might be making, you know, hills or what do they call it? Like a, mountains out of molehills. Um, yeah, mountains <laughs> out of molehills. But, I mean, again, he had that bracelet, and it was very prominent when he was with his daughter. Um, so I'm still kind of curious if that's, like, the last thing or one of the last things she ever gave him. And that's why it seems like it's always it's always on him. It's, you know, I know sometimes when you see actors, they'll wear, like, a necklace or something like that, and they always have it on. Yeah. But I keep being drawn to this thing. Like, I feel like they're focusing on it enough to show that there's some meaning behind this thing. You know, this might so see. I'm trying to get over the fact that Steve may not be a D. I gotta focus on this bracelet. I've gotta have some meaning and stability in this show. The deeper meaning of the bracelet. <laughs> but I mean, everything we touched on, like that's. I mean, that's such a tough moment, and you know, the the cut between him when he's doing CPR and Will when you know the doctors are doing it on their on his daughter. And it's like you know, he's trying. Like I feel like in this moment, he's like, if Will does not make it, like. Like I, I'm going to be crushed more than I could be crushed ever in life because like yes. this is another person that I let down. And even though his daughter, he didn't let down, like, it's just, it's a natural thing that happens. But I mean, as a father, and even this is the police chief's like police chief, there's like just nothing you can do to take that on yourself to make you feel like, okay, like, you know, m- maybe I should go back to the facility and just let them give me that junkie injection and just, you know, mm-hmm. give up. But that gave him a little bit of hope. Yeah, because he he still could have given up, you know, after all of that, but he didn't. Because um, I and, think he's still got that drive and that purpose. He he's uh, he's he's in it like a he's got it like a bulldog, you know. He's not letting it go. Yeah, and you see that when he's like when his daughter's alive with him, like he seems like a completely different person. You know, yeah. he's happy. He's playing with her. Like he seems really energetic. And even when he's reading to her, like you know, she's you know bald at this point because she's probably going through chemotherapy or some kind of you know treatment. And, you know, he's still, like, trying to be there and supportive reading her that book. And he still seems like this strong, huge, like, you know, supportive person. But then once he gets, you know, to Hawkins, it's just more of like, I'm I'm a shell. I'm not even a human. I don't even know if he's like, feels like he's actually a human being. Like, he's just going through the motions. And it was short. Like, it was my, probably wasn't, what, three to four minutes of airtime in this episode. But I think it just tells you so much about the the character Hopper. Exactly. You get so much. And he was able to, I think, emote so much um, in those few scenes. Because like I said, it was probably only like three to five minutes if you, you know, which I didn't time it, but very short scenes giving you just what you need to know. And like I said, I think it was like a really good glimpse to really explain to us, you know, who Hopper is, where he can, where he comes from. Like you understand in the beginning when you first saw him, like you know, why he was the way he was. And I think it, you kind of understand through his journey through the season and his determination, because it, it does make you question a little bit, like, why is he going so far, you know, to help Joyce out? It's not like they're in a relationship, you know, um, that, you know, they to have a thing going on or something and he's, you know, driven to help her out. He's not related to Will in any way. 
so why is he so vested in finding him and saving him? And I think this, you know, was really, uh, you know, opening a door. So really good stuff. Yep. So your number four kind of falls into my number three with the uh, the breathe in, breathe out. Sweet. We're just syncing up every week. Just syncing up. So our number twos aren't synced yet. So hopefully we can not, pass that not yet. <laughs> well, I won't jinx it. I'll shut up then. So <laughs> jinx it. But um, my number three, we've kind of already touched on it. It was the monster hunting, and I think that we covered it pretty well. Um, you know, or at least Nancy and Jonathan's part. Um, I have more to say about the other part, but um, that's really all I have to say about that. So that that was my number three was the monster hunting in the house. Yeah, I guess I guess the only thing to add that I just found this part of my note. So like when Steve shows up, like we call him Steve the D. You know, he's Steve the. Uh, I guess he's grown on me. I feel like his <laughs> name for this episode would be Steve the. This is what I get for trying to apologize. <laughs> No kidding. He really did come in at a really bad time. I mean, yeah. he, 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 it's, it's like freaking out. Nancy's, you know, pointing this gun at him and he's thinking, why are you pointing this gun at me? What the hell is going on? Your hand, you're bleeding. The place is a mess. There's Christmas lights everywhere. What's going on? Lights are flickering. There's this freaking monster. I think that his performance, at least as far as, um, like freaking out i'm like okay thank you a genuine response because i feel oh, like yeah you know it's been so much of this um you know this bravery because i'd be pissing in my pants half half the time you know, oh this yeah chasing I mean, after me at least his response to me i could relate to because i'm like i would be doing that too like he is legit freaking out like what the hell is going on <laughs> joe Carey, the guy who plays steve did a great because i mean like you walk into that situation you i mean instantly be like what the fuck are you guys doing like my thought is like you guys are freaking serial killers, and I'm about to die. Yeah, you smell gasoline. You, there's a bear trap. There's blood. They're bleeding. And, there's guns. There's this yes. na- bat with nails in it. <laughs> then a monster comes through the ceiling. You're like, oh, I thought the worst thing that happens. I come over here, and you two would be banging, but not freaking <laughs> monsters in a death house. At this point, that's what he's wishing for. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, man, I just wish I could peek in the window and you two'd be banging. Exactly. I mean, I'd be upset, but you know, at least my life wouldn't be on the line. Exactly, we wouldn't be having this crazy, uh, crazy ass monster trying to <laughs> eat our face. Um, yeah, so that was that's my number three, which I think we covered pretty well. Um, was monster hunting? All right, so my number two, I have titled "L Cleans House." We get to see eleven L's. Powers on display to the max in this episode. So one, you know, we're seeing, you know, the government shows up and they're trying to run, which is this, like, very few times do uh, situations in the show kind of make me feel tense. And this was one of them. Because, like, they're running here, like, crap, there's people coming. They run here, crap, there's people coming. And they get surrounded. And so I'm like, okay, well, they're trapped. And I'm expecting somehow they're going to end up at the facility or something like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But no, we just see Elle step forward and just start focusing. And I'm like, oh, crap, they're going to shoot her because they're like, she's going to use her brain powers. But she has everybody in that hallway under control. And I don't know if she melted their minds or boiled their minds or just squeezed them from the inside. But she dropped like 20 people. In just like a fell swoop. I know. It was so amazing. I think she squeezed their brains. That's that's kind of what I think too. That and that's was, why like they kind of froze because I'm like, oh shit, they're going to shoot her. Why don't they shoot her? I'm like, oh, well, basically they can't at this point. Yeah, they were like frozen and they're, oh my gosh, they're when their eyes just like started bleeding. I mean, how oh, awesome yeah. was that? 
It reminded me of a, a little bit of like the Walking Dead season when they had that virus going around. That was making people's eyes bleed. Yes, blood was like just coming out of every orifice. Ugh, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, but that was Elle badass. Was, yeah, Elle was not effing, and you know, she used her whole power. She passes out, and you know, Mike's freaking out because she doesn't seem like, she's basically seems like she's, you know, semi-conscious and probably close to death. And Papa shows up with more people, so they're kind of effed there. But what do we know in the series so far that is attracted by blood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the Demigorgon comes in and does his whole badness of, you know, killing people and eating them. And I'm kind of curious if he got Dr. Brenner. I mean, we see him jump on him, so I'm assuming maybe Dr. Brenner's not coming back for season two. Uh-huh. Uh, but to finish up with Elle's, you know, kind of takedown of everything, we see her go up against the Demigorgon. Oh, my God, yeah. And I, oh, it was so great because you see, you know, Lucas with his wrist rocket firing these monster-killing rocks at it. You know, he pecks it, pecks it, pecks it. And you're like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? And he fires another round, and all of a sudden you just see the Demigorgon slam up against the wall. And I don't know if Elle knew what she did was going to cause her to disappear or what, but, I mean, the bravery for a girl that does this, like, she did it for her friends. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a stand-by-me type of moment where she goes up, you know, she uses her power, she screams. It's kind of like that uh, muffled sound that sometimes TV shows do where, you know, you, you, you know she's screaming, but you can't hear it at the whole full volume. Right. Yeah, that was a really powerful moment. And then just ashes all over the place and gone. And we just know that, you know, if you didn't think Elle was powerful up to this point, now you know. No kidding. Yeah, she was not messing around. And and knowing that she was already weak, because she was still weak from oh, that's the a good bathtub point. Yeah. incident. You know, she was still kind of, you know, you could see she was feeling like a little bit better. But even Mike was like, you know, are you feeling better? And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders a little bit like, eh, you know, a little or something, you know. Um, so you know that she was still kind of drained from that whole experience. And then to see her as they are running from Papa and all the government folks chasing them with guns, um, you know, you know, she's already in a weakened state. And the fact that she could still do that and then how she's nearly like completely unconscious from that effort to then, you know, because she's laying on that table uh, you know, and it looks like, uh, it looks like the science room. I don't know if that's, it did. It looked very much. Yeah. It looked like just my science school in high school or my science room in high school. I know those black tables. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. I thought my school was the only one that had them. Yes. My school had them too. Those were the science tables. Um, but yeah, that was in my like biology and my science classes too. That's about all I remember from, from those classes. Cause I kind of sucked it. (laughs) So I needed Mr. Clark as a teacher. Um, he would have helped me a lot better, but, um, but yeah, you know, she's laying on that table and she is wiped. I mean, cause you know, that was not little effort. I mean, God, that scene was so badass. and she's mm-hmm. good. I mean, that focus, I mean, I loved it every time that she did it throughout the season, whenever she'd use her power, but man, there was something about this time, you know, when she's taking on those government people and that focus with her head down and she was like on it and you see them all just freeze. And at that point, you're kind of almost just focused on the ones in front of her, that one lady that kept pretending she was like the social worker and whoever else that she was pretending to be. Um, and the men behind her, you just see them focus on, on them at first. And then all of a sudden 
you know, as she's finally, to me, I think she's squeezing their brains. Um, but whatever she was doing, melting them, squeezing them, and they drop like flies. You see the ones in the front and the ones in the back. Because mm-hmm. you weren't even thinking about them. You see them at one point as Elle is focusing and they're, you can tell they're not moving. But are they frozen because Elle has frozen them? Or are they just frozen in like, what the fuck's going on? You know, like they can't believe what's happening. Or they can't, you know, they can't process what's happening. So they're frozen. Um but they all just drop and then you're like, Oh damn. You know, she <laughs> Elle just did that. <laughs> it was amazing. And then yeah, with the demigorgon. I mean and and she looked so sad. I mean her face, she had like yeah. dark circles. She just looked her face was drawn and she had like those dark circles under her eyes and you know, her nose is already bleeding and it's like it took everything that she had uh to you know, she had that demigorgon pinned to the wall. Ugh. It was, so, it was so emotional. I I just watched it a little bit ago, and I just I had, like, tears in my eyes all over again. It was mm. just so emotional, everything that I, happened. I feel like the whole last, like, ten minutes of the show, I was just, like, big ball yeah. bag, you know? <laughs> well, I feel like in that moment, you kind of – she doesn't come out and say it, but it feels like she almost knows more than what she's been letting on, too. Mm-hmm. Because she says no more. Like, she knows, okay, well, I've known how to stop this, and now it's time to stop it. Yeah, that was a loaded statement, or maybe not a whole statement since it was two words, but I feel like that was loaded, you know, what she said in that moment. Ugh. But Um, yeah, my number two is just Elle cleaning house. And boy, did she. She she cleaned it good. My number two is the Upside Down. Uh, We got Hopper and Joyce. Those two on their missions, uh, boy, do they get in some shit. And this has to be like the ultimate uh, because, you know, they you see them walk through the opening there at the facility uh, through that goo. There's that goo again. Yeah. Um, that is just At least not, we know kind of what it is now. Ugh, it's, ugh, yeah, it's nasty. That's what it is. But, you know, you see, you get to travel with them. And I really liked how, you know, you had Hopper and Joyce in the Upside Down. And they're walking through uh, from the facility, like through the woods, and then they get to Joyce's house. And while all that is happening, Jonathan, Nancy, and Steve are also in the house. And you see, like, how the lights start slowly kind of coming on as as Joyce and Hopper are walking throughout the house. And then you go back to Joyce and Hopper, and you see them walk down the hall after they set the demigorgon on fire and they're like, Oh, looks like something happened here. <laughs> you know, it's like they can see that. Um, Joyce hears Ho- or Jonathan when they're getting ready to walk out of the house. I just loved how that whole sequence, how it was kind of going back and forth between both of them. And, uh, you know, it's like Jonathan and Nancy, they can see like something's happening. Something's going on. They don't know what it is yet. They think it's maybe that, that monster again, but then Jonathan's like, I don't think that's the monster. I think that's my mom. And that's when he calls out to Joyce. And I just really like that whole sequence, how it's like, they're there, but they're not there. Yeah. Um, I always do. Like you mentioned, like, and I think our first episode, how this was kind of like the silent hill thing. Oh yeah. And that kind of just, I guess like you're there, but you're not. And you know, the light bulbs coming up and there's kind of a comfort to it. Like the demigorgon was like this intense, you know, lights blinking Mm -hmm. and, you know, very aggressive. And with this was more of a, you know, just a, you know, tink, 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 tink. Yeah, like when um, Will was reaching out to Joyce, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, exactly. and doing that with the lights, how he was being, you know, trying to get her attention. Hey, it's me. Um, and he was being very gentle. 
Um, and then, yeah, very different than whenever the demigorgon is uh, busting through the walls or through the ceiling or whatever. Um, but I like that whole sequence. And, you know, you see them get to, what was it, the library, I guess it was. You know, they're walking through town. They're, they're following a blood trail um, because it's, you know, Steve has bashed it with the Negan bat. Um, and it's bleeding. And they follow the, the trail. They get to the library. And you see that. Well, at first in the woods, you see that egg. Maybe it was in the woods. Wherever they were, they oh, saw that Oh, yes, that I egg. saw it, yeah. Ooh, the egg pod. It was like aliens. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. It's like, okay, well, so are these monsters smart and they come from eggs? Like, are there more? That's And that's the thing I'm trying to figure out. It's like, are there, is there more of them? Yeah. I mean, because it, it something came out of it. Something hatched. Something left that egg. Um and that was disturbing, but it, it was very reminiscent of the Aliens movies, which I absolutely love. I'm a huge fan of the first and, of course, the second one. Um, but those that's what it reminded me of a lot was the, the, the egg, egg pods, I think is what they kind of called them. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then when they found Will and he was trapped in, um, oh, and I can't think of the word for it, but like that nest. And he's got that thing shoved down his throat and it's like mm-hmm. that. You know that ain't good because something he's he's incubating something he's been <laughs> he's been imp- that's just that's I've seen way too many science fiction and horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what's going on. He is being implanted with something. This is not yeah. good. Something or impregnated with something, and that's almost a lot like um, aliens. Whenever the the sucker the sucker alien mm-hmm. face yeah sucker, the face huggers yeah would um uh, stick their thing down your throat and then impregnate you and then <laughs> comes up out of your guts. <laughs> One of the greatest movies ever, seriously. Um, but yeah, it was very reminiscent of that. And then they found Barb, Barb again. Oh, again, yeah. Just to rub it in your face a little bit more like, oh, you think she might still be alive? Nope. Nope. She's dead. Just in case you thought that slug coming out of her mouth didn't mean that she wasn't dead. Well, now, she, now again, yes, Barb is dead in case there was any question. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that just the whole trip through the Upside Down, Joyce and, and Hopper. Uh, going through the whole thing and how it kind of intermingled with um, Jonathan and Nancy and Steve in the house and, and then finding Will of course. And yeah, that was, it was creepy. It was freaky and I'm glad they got the hell out of there. So that was my number two. All right. So my number one is kind of tying this whole season into a, to a nice little bow kind of it's one month later. Yeah. So what we see from this, you know, there's it's Christmas time. You know, they're back playing D&D and they're having a great time. They're having a lot of fun. Um, it was a 10 hour campaign, which is great. Um, you know, we we see Mike and, you know, he's still focused on Elle's little uh, makeup tent that he made for her, her uh, blanket fort, you know, looking at that she's got basically all set up perfectly got the radio still there like you know hoping she comes back um steve and nancy are together i guess which kind of broke my heart a little bit like i thought maybe jonathan (laughs) had a shot because like you know she comes down the stairs like oh hey jonathan i've got this for you and he's like oh i didn't get you anything it's like oh it's it's no big deal it's not really a gift like oh it's like her class ring she's gonna be like will you be my boyfriend And, you know, he goes out and they open it and it's a camera. I'm like, oh, that's cute, I guess. You know, they still have a shot together. But, nope, Steve is the one at the house putting his arm around Nancy. So mm. Steve's the winner in that love triangle for at least round one. Well, and, okay, so 
if I can throw in the female perspective from this point of view, and I maybe he's won this battle. I don't think he's won the war. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, she gave him that gift or the non-gift, whatever you want to call it, but she, she gave it to him and, you know, she sneaks that little kiss to him, you know, and I, I think there was a little bit something more behind that. And then when she did go sit with Steve, um, you know, yes, they're together. Seems that things are okay with them. And it seems like she wants to be with him or at least because she did end up choosing him. Now, what, like, did she really want to choose him or did she just think that's what she wanted? I don't know. But that look on her face as, you know, and when she, she put, you know, her head on his shoulder and she, how she's looking away in the distance, she didn't look so happy to me. Some I think, second thoughts there. I think she's either ha- having second thoughts or she's thinking, you know, I don't really know that I want to be leaning on Steve right now. I think I would rather be leaning into Jonathan right now. She's having doubts and I'm, I'm, I'm calling it just cause I'm a girl. So <laughs> Well, it's high school time. It's confusing. You know, it's like, well, do I want the, the, the creepy guy? Do I want the guy that's, you know, good with a bat? Mm-hmm. Do I got, want the guy that's good with a camera? I mean, they both look like they're good with their hands. Which one do I want? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's just, I think that she thinks that she really, and maybe she does. I, I'm not saying she doesn't care for Steve. I think she's just really conflicted with her feelings. To me, she didn't look really settled and really that happy. I think she's just questioning her relationship with Steve and is he the one that she really wants to be with? Because I think she was thinking more of Jonathan in that moment. So that's just me. That's my perspective. So, And there's only other two bits of kind of things tying up. So we got Hop. So what was he doing these last 11 months with the government? Because we see him get picked up right before we get the one-month jump. Yeah. So I want to know what the story is there. And then the biggest thing in this, which leads into, you know, some season two stuff is, you know, we see Will's back like, okay, great. Will's back. He's like, oh, crap, I got to go to the bathroom. And he goes in and he starts coughing. He spits up what looks to be the slug that crawled out of Barb, the same kind of thing. So gross. And it's like Nightmare on Elm Street-esque, like shift, like, you know, like whenever you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, there's parts where like it shifts real quick from like it's you're in a dream world and it shifts from like okay you're in your real world now you're in this weird dream world yeah he like shifts back into the upside down and you want to say who the bravest person in this whole tv series is it's will because not only did he he survive the upside down for a week and he's able to go into the and this doesn't look like this is the first time it's happened in this month either Uh uh-uh and he comes right back out and his mom's like are you okay he's like oh yeah everything's fine just had to wash my hands and goes right back into like, oh, this is, you know, I'm excited to get my Atari for Christmas. Yeah, and talking about the Dungeons and Dragons game and just like Yeah, nothing. exactly. Oh, that's a really good point because he's, I remember thinking and watching it because um, he, as he's coughing up in the sink and, and the, oh God, it just, ugh, those freaking slugs just freaked me out. Yeah. I know it's not like a real slug, but uh, whatever that slug-like creature was, ugh, and and people like, puking you know, just really <laughs> that's a sensitive thing for me and um so watching him do that he just seemed too at ease with it like you're right like it has been a month and you can see him when he was in the hospital and the boys were uh you know getting to reunite with him and they're all excited and talking and you see will like kind of start coughing really mm, hard yeah. and it's like mm. i bet yeah that's a really good point i bet that's not the first time he's hacked up one of these damn Slug things. Because he, yeah. he didn't seem shocked 
Yeah, no, exactly. He didn't seem yeah. scared. I mean, he saw he seemed scared, like when the upside down kind of flashed, like you said, when that when he saw it again, which I think would be scary. The poor kid was lost there. He's probably got some freaking PTSD at oh, the very sure, least yeah. at being, you know, he's got this freaking demigorgon trying to eat him, and he's had to hide from it for a week. And in the super scary place, he's all alone. The freaking air is toxic, so he's probably sick. He hasn't probably no food, no water. So, yeah, you're absolutely right that he's, like, the bravest character out of the whole, I think, you know, the show for what he has went through. So he's got to have some sort of PTSD. So, obviously, the flash of, you know, he hasn't quite left, or at least it hasn't left him, you know, the upside down. Of course, that's scary, but coughing up the slug did not look to scare him. So that's that that confused me until you just made that point that that's probably not the first. I didn't make that connection. Um, that makes a lot of damn sense. Thanks, yeah, Sean. it's kind of like the, the first time, like you go out drinking and you throw up. You're like, "Oh God, what is that?" But like the second, third, fourth time, you're like, "Oh, that just that's what happens after you go out drinking." Yeah, that's so you kind of get used to it and understand, like, "Oh, this is just part of it. This is part of coming from the upside down." You start puking up these slugs. That's just it. That's life now. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is your life. Yeah, you're but right. My number one is just kind of this tidying up of the the last episode of season one is one month later. <sighs> really good number one. Really good. Lots of good points. And you know what? We're we're on a roll because my number one um, certainly ties into a lot of that. And mine is the feels because that's what I got Ooh, yeah. throughout the last. Um, there was lots of moments throughout the whole um, episode, but especially those last like 10, 15 minutes. Um, well, in the, in the beginning, though, one part was Mike telling Elle, like when he finally kind of said that he liked her because they had the whole, you know, my, my parents will take care of you. You can have the basement or you can have my room because I'm in the basement all the time anyway. <laughs> um, my parents are going to be kind of like your parents. My sister, she'll be like your sister. And then she's like, and you, you'll be like my brother. And he's like, ew, no. <laughs> you know? and, yeah, and he, yeah, and it's, yeah, I love that part, too, because he's kind of like, I don't remember if you really said, ew, no, or just like, oh, no, 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 because you know, it's, it's different between us. Exactly. And, you know, he was like, we can go to snowball. And I just made me so reminiscent of school at that age and snowball. I feel like I forgot all about snowball until he brought it up again. Anybody that never had snowball in school, um, I feel bad for you. Um, or maybe not so bad because it could be bad if you didn't have a date or didn't get asked to go. But, um, <laughs> but I thought it was so sweet. And he was like trying to explain to her, because she's like, you know, would you take your, you know, take take your sister? And he's like, no, or, you know, you could, but it would be weird. And, you know, and trying to explain to how, you know, he's trying to explain to her that he likes her without being weird about it. And then they finally kissed. So that was, I think, a really sweet moment that really got me. And I thought, oh, you know, it, it was um, bringing out the emotions. Another moment was Dr. Brenner, uh, I was I was really conflicted with that moment whenever he found Elle collapsed on the floor. I was really conflicted, like, is he genuine? Does he really, really care for her? Because he acted like it. But it's like, did he really care for her, or is it just because it's his possession that he cares for? Like, he's so worried about his weapon, but... Was he finally seeing her? Because he, he said, he told him, he's like, let let the child go. And it's like, oh, well, he sees her, I guess, as a child, so maybe he's... You know, I don't know. I really struggled with that. I was like, you know, I can't have sympathy for you, Dr. Brenner. You're yeah, an asshole. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. But, um, it, you know, it did at least make me question it, um, his his true feelings. 
whenever uh, Mike and Elle's interaction is she's laying on the table um, after she's smoked the government people and melted their brains and they're bleeding all over the floors and she's completely wiped and they hide in the science room uh, hoping to get away from the Demogorgon and, you know, he's like, you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. We're going to do this and we're going to, we're going to go to Snowball and she's laying there and you can tell she's just like completely wiped. She's about had it. You don't think she's going to make it. Um, and she's like, oh, you, you promise? And they have that moment. I just, all these little moments are just, were just really getting me. Um, whenever Hopper was saving Mike, thinking about how he couldn't save his own daughter. And no, it wasn't Mike. I put Mike and I meant Will. Sorry. When Hopper, when after they had found Will, and you had mentioned it earlier when they're like doing like the CPR on him, and he is like determined, he's having flashbacks of his daughter with the tube down her throat. Um, and Will's got that thing going down his throat. And he's performing CPR on her, and he's seeing a flashback of the doctors performing CPR. God, how freaking horrible. I mean, to be a parent and to have to witness that, them trying to save your mm-hmm. daughter and she's slipping away. And you can see that determination in him that he couldn't, he couldn't help his daughter in that moment, but he can, he can do something for Will. Um, that really tore me up. And I was so emotional during that scene. Um, and then <laughs> Karen, Karen Wheeler, as she's, as her and fucking Ted get there. Yes. <laughs> um, and she's yelling for Mike you know, in this crowd of cops and ambulances and people running around, she's yelling for him because she truly loves her children. And that really comes through. And I thought it was um, not funny, but, you know, she's hugging Mike and she's just like, oh, my God, just the sense of relief at finding Mike. And and then you see Ted. He's all about the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. He's talking to the, the paramedic like, so, uh, you know, like, do you guys have like a 401k or like, you know, <laughs> right. do you guys have good dental I know. I'm just like, Oh, hey, Mike. I'm glad you're okay. No, like, fucking dad. You can't even get into like a group family hug or something and be grateful (laughs) that your child is safe. The only thing that made it better is like, he looks at his watch, like, Come on. It's it's almost bedtime. We got to get home. What's for dinner? Uh, Yeah, what's for dinner? (laughs) Is dinner ready yet? Um, Oh, God. But yeah, that that moment. Uh, Will and his family was another moment after he, you know, when he's in the hospital and he wakes up. And his family's with him, and him and his brother have that nice little moment together. Um, was emotional for me. So there's all these emotional moments that I'm having. The the boys, uh, you know, everyone's out in the waiting room. When the boys got to go and they're reunited with Will, I I just loved that moment. Um, and Will telling them, he's like, it got me. The demigorgon, it got me, because that was reminiscent of the first episode. You know when the Demogorgon, whenever they were playing D&D and the Demogorgon comes out and, um, and then of course that was, you know, right before Will disappeared and he tells him, it's like, the Demogorgon got me. And then you mentioned, uh, at the end the boys were playing D&D together. It was nice to see them all together again. Um, Mike turning around, seeing the spot where Elle had slept in the basement. You know, I was, I was tearing up during that part. Thought it was super sweet. Nancy replacing Jonathan's camera, which I don't know that it was Nancy replacing it or if Steve did it. Do you think Steve replaced the camera and had Nancy give it to him? Yeah, I think so. Um, because he's kind of like he made the the comment, like, Well, did you give it to him? And maybe I don't know, maybe they pitched into it, but I do feel like he because I mean, he went to go to apologize to him, so I think he's felt like he's like, I'm kind of turning over a new leaf, like, I was a really big jerk and I want to make things better. 
or make things right. I'm Sean. I'm getting you a Team Steve T-shirt now. <laughs> I know it's like for two. Like I didn't even get a full season. I had like three episodes where I'm like, this guy's the worst person in the world. And I'm like, you know what? I'd probably date him. I know. <laughs> You're ready to give him one of those sloppy kisses now. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll give him a Demi Gorgon kiss. Well, if he buys me a nice camera nowadays, like sure, I'd kiss him. Yeah, why not? You know, for the 80s, that was, I mean, those cameras, even yeah. back in, I mean, today they're not cheap, but especially in those days, those were very expensive cameras. So that's why I thought Steve had to have a part in that. Either he helped pay for it or he or he did outright pay for it. And maybe um, maybe him and Jonathan aren't quite in, so, I mean, maybe they don't hate each other like they did, but maybe they're not in the place where he would give it to him. Maybe it seemed better to come from Nancy or something. I don't know, but that made me wonder if... You know, who really was behind it. Not that it truly matters, but it just made me curious. Um, and then, of course, yeah, we get to the end, you know, and Hopper's at the party. So we know Hopper has somehow, whatever whatever's going on with him and the government, because we saw Will, uh, you know, at, at the, he comes out from the hospital after Will has been found and saved. Um, and he goes off with the government people. And then a month later, he's still around. They haven't taken him out. They haven't made him somehow disappear. They haven't. Uh, drugged him up and made it look like a suicide. Um, he's still alive, but he's getting food. He's not staying. And just a side note, that Tupperware container. I don't know if anybody else recognizes those <laughs> Tupperware containers. Yes. <laughs> I think my mom had some of those through like the late 90s. Oh, my gosh. I love those damn Tupperware containers. We had Tupperware from, I mean, you open up the cabinet doors and Tupperware was just falling out everywhere. Those plastic cups, those tall plastic cups. People's going to remember those tall plastic cups if you're from the 80s. But that that Tupperware container brought back all the 80s nostalgia for me. It was crazy. Um, so we see Hopper. He's getting all this food. And you think he's just taking it home. Like I said, he's just there for the free food. And you think he's just, you know, going to grab some grub and go home. Because he doesn't seem to quite be the, you know, uh, intermingling with the rest of the, the folks there in the station. So it, it, it makes sense in a way. But then, you know, he's not going home. He's going out in the woods. And there's this box, this really nice box. He puts the food in there. And then he puts Eggos in there. Now, and we know who loves Eggos. We know who loves Eggos. So what is that all about? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I have, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, it seems like it's. he's leaving it for somebody. I think it's safe to assume it's L. And it looks like it's been done before. Yeah. So it's not like a because there's nothing else symbol. in there, or at least you don't yeah. see anything else in there. So it's not like a symbolism type thing. Like he's not doing it just be like, oh, and I remember this girl that you know, like a memorial or something. Yeah, exactly. Like it seems like there's actually somebody using it. Yeah, because there doesn't seem to be other scraps of food or other containers or any any evidence of. It looked pretty empty. It was dark, but it it seemed from the light that you know that that we had that it seemed to be clean there wasn't anything left in there so if he had been doing this for a while we know a month has gone by if he's been doing this at least for a month or even a couple of weeks um somebody's somebody's getting it and yes we know that l loves uh egos what the hell does he know that that no one else does i mean we saw what happened to l we we don't i mean we don't know what happened to her but we saw she somehow dissipated when she destroyed the demigorgon so something has happened to her um but how is she, I don't know. It's like, what does he know that we don't? And, you know, and then it's like, if he betrayed her, why would he be doing that? He had no, to, he had to have I cared mean, for her. 
unless he felt feels bad about it. Maybe. But I mean, he spent that whole he spent some time with the government after all this happened too. So yeah, maybe they've given him some more information. Or I mean, again, he's a smart guy, so maybe he knows something we don't. I know, and it's killing me. I hope I hope we get some answers. It's, uh, but yeah, that that's my number one was just all the feels, um, all of these super emotional moments, all these super touching moments, um, had tears, you know, just <laughs> some, some really great moments. And of course, a lot of them happened in like the last 10, 15 minutes. It was really, you know, there were some really scary moments and that's what was so great about the show is how it can really twist and turn you because you don't know whether one minute to, you know, you got goosebumps and the hair on the back of your neck standing up because it's super intense, uh, super scary. You don't know what's going on or what's going to happen until then the next moment, the next scene you could be crying, you know, over uh, the emotions. So Yeah, they do a great job. Like one minute you're like, this guy's a total D-bag. And this next minute you're like, man, this guy's okay. And then the next minute you're like, oh, I'd take him to the snowball. Yes. So I was on record as saying if I like Steve the D at the end of this, I want to be upset. Like I'm not upset. But I want to put this out there. If they make me start liking Ted at the end of season two, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much redemption for, for Ted. <laughs> I think you're okay with that one. I don't know. To be continued, let's see uh, what happens or what's coming for. Because he survived this season. I'm assuming he's going to be in the in the next um, season. So, <clears throat> so we'll see. But, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I told you I'm getting you a, te- a Team Steve. <laughs> team Steve t-shirt. I'll wear it proudly until he makes me mad. But like, See, I told you. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's really great writing. Really great writing to go from like a complete 180 like that. And um, a lot of great characters on this show. I'm really pleased. Okay. What kind of notes did you have? Do you have some extra notes I, on the show? I have a few. Um, I'll kind of do the uh, – there's a couple quick hitters. So one – these are kind of funny lines. So when uh, – um, Jonathan and Nancy are gone for too long. Uh, you know, Mike's like, well, where'd they go? And <laughs> Dustin just, you know, replies back, oh, they're probably out sucking face somewhere. <laughs> Such a um, 12-year-old boy response. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. And then Dustin again with the win. I, I kind of feel like this was a Goonies reference. I, I didn't get time to go and look back at this Goonie, but um, when Mike, uh, or I'm sorry, when Dustin goes into and finds the, the pudding, he's grabbing a bunch of them. He turns back. He's like, Mike, well, I found the pudding. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of how the Goonies went when they found the ice cream, when yeah. Chunk found the ice cream. Oh gosh, um, the Goonies. And the only other two notes I have, um, left are, so one, like the intro was really, really long. Like there's times, you know, when you're watching an intro to an episode and all of a sudden the, uh, the uh, credits kick off. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh crap, they haven't even kicked the credits off yet. Like, that was a really long intro. And so I kind of note it with this because they kind of bounce between a lot of people. And the other thing I thought was cool is they kind of did the same thing they did in season one or episode one where they started with the stars, like kind of a Star Wars yes. opening and pan down. So I thought that was really cool. It was. It really tied it together. And so those are kind of the only, I mean, quick hitter notes. And we kind of touched on a lot of the other stuff throughout our top five, but. Um, yeah, those were the, the kind of main notes I had. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't have very many notes either. Cause I feel like, um, a lot of what I talked about, um, either you've covered or I've covered, but, um, one thing that I noted and, and, and we did mention it, but we didn't really talk about it is I'm curious as to, they, they said the air is toxic talking about the upside down. Um, so what, what's toxic is make me curious. That's, 
not like a huge question, I feel, in this whole, it's just my curiosity. I, I, I get stuck on these little points. I've got this really stupid habit of like these little things because I'm, I'm all about the details. I'm, I'm real observant and I pick up on these details and it, it doesn't really matter how it's toxic or, or what is toxic about it. But it just, I'm like, I want to know. I'm like, well, what's toxic? Will was there because like when you know when they were getting ready to put those hazmat suits on, she's like toxic. Well, my son is in there. You know yeah. he doesn't have a freaking hazmat suit. You know why? And he's been in there for a week too, yeah, like been, a long time. Exactly, that's a long time to be breathing in that air. So I'm just like, well, why is it toxic? How do you know it's toxic? Did you go in there and test it? Because the one person you sent in there, you know, got taken. <laughs> Good you point. <laughs> he didn't come back out. Yeah, he he did not come back. So I'm guessing it's like a hundred percent of the people that go in there never come out. Exactly. So how did you get the readings on? It, how do you know that is it just because it's floating there in the like in that one room how it's um where that gate has opened and and maybe they were able to test that part without actually going full on into the upside down i don't know but it it's just my curiosity and it's it just makes me crazy everyone else probably like why the hell do you even give a shit well i do because that's how my brain works um the Negan bat, we already talked about that. I thought that was really funny. I know um, if no one knows who the hell Negan is, um, if you don't watch The Walking Dead, that that's it's who uh, Sean and I keep referencing is Negan. And Negan's bat, yes, we're fully aware, was covered in barbed wire and not nails. Yeah. But it was, that's why this is Negan's bat 2.0. Exactly. Um, I think if uh, Negan had a, a, a son or a daughter, uh, maybe Judith, when she grows up, uh, will have... Uh, a bat with covered in nails. <laughs> now I just imagine Judith with like one of those little souvenir bats running around <laughs> with nails out of it. Exactly. So we've already talked about that a little bit, but that was in my notes. I thought that was super cool. We've talked about Dustin in the pudding and man, he, it reminded me of Carl in the pudding in the walking dead. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 The chocolate like, pudding uh, where he's sitting on the rooftop. I heard Cart for some reason I heard Cartman when he said that. And I was oh. thinking like, no, my, my, Chocolate pudding. <laughs> That's funny. No, but I thought that was super, super cute. Um, it, it was a little bit of a different context, I think, than with, with – because Dustin knew what he was going after. Carl just happened to find it by chance. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought with how much they were really into the pudding – um, that kind of reminded me of, and I thought he was just so adorable as he's, you know, he was talking about, I knew she lied about hoarding that pudding. And <laughs> <laughs> it was so adorable. And he, like he said, he yells, Mike, we've got the pudding. <laughs> hilarious. Also, Dustin's line is they're running through the halls of the school and the bad men are chasing them. And uh, they're like, how did they know to find us? And Dustin just looks at him and goes, Lando. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There he goes again with the Lando reference. Just absolutely kills me. Um, so I really like that line. Dustin, I swear, I just love that kid. Um, I really like um, how he kind of puts brings everyone together, and he's kind of the common sense of the group and really kind of kind of the glue, I think, a little bit of the group. Yeah, um, I can see that. And then just the other point, which you covered really, really well, and I think we talked about was such that badass moment with Elle. Uh, when she wiped out that whole government squad, um, that was just big in my notes because um, I felt it needed to be mentioned again because it was so badass. I mean, we, I mean, if you like you said, if you didn't think she was a badass before with, you know, how she throwing people against the walls, breaking arms, breaking necks, um, a van flipping uh, through the air over top of, of the kids there as they're on their bikes. If you didn't think she was already a badass, this should prove it right there. So. Yeah, that's that's all my notes. I didn't have too many notes this round. 
Sweet. So we're going to bounce into our ad or sponsor of Freshly. So uh, recently um, I got a couple meals from Freshly, and one of them was a turkey three bean chili. And, you know, as I go through, you know, my work day, I get to lunch and, you know, sometimes I try to meal prep, but, you know, it's very challenging because usually what is it? It's like chicken, you dice it up, you throw some hot sauce on it and it's kind of bland. It just, you know, kind of is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like you get through Wednesday and it's like, all right, I'm just going to go and get something that, you know, is completely horrible for me, but tastes good. What Freshly gives you is it's going to give you... All natural ingredient meals. It's ready within three minutes. It's cooked by chefs with the help of nutritionists. And like I said, I got this three bean chili and I get it and you get it set up and you get it. You know, a lot of these like meals that you buy already prepped, you don't feel full afterwards. You feel like, okay, well, I had this appetizer. Now I need to go out and like actually get real food. But this thing was like hearty. I ate all of it and I felt stuffed. And they even give you like great ideas too. It's like, hey, you want to spice it up? You know, throw in some jalapenos, throw in some extra onions, you know, make it your own kind of thing too if you want. But it didn't even need any of that. It was perfect the way it was. Each of these meals come with detailed description of ingredients. The food, like I said, is delicious. It's probably one of the smartest services I've ever tried because, you know, like I said, like you can go and get like the frozen ones and they, again, they taste bland. They don't fill you up, but these are full of good, good stuff. Um, again, they, they're healthy meals. They're fresh. They're never frozen. And, you know, they're just great for if you're trying to have a, like a healthy living lifestyle, you know, for the whole family. Yeah. And if, if you want, you can, if you want to try this out, you can use our promo code strange. If you go to freshly.com, use the promo code strange and you're going to get $40 off. You'll get $20 off your first week and $20 off your second week. It's totally worth trying out. It's a great thing. There's like, I think there's a fair number of different choices. You know, Rima mentioned one of hers last week and I mentioned one of mine this week, the three bean chili. Um, so give it a shot and try it out. You can go out and save an hour by having one of their fully prepared healthy meals for dinner tonight. Yum. Thank you, Freshly. Thanks, Freshly. Mm, making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Freshly break. We got to get got to get some of that three bean chili. I know. I didn't try that one, so I'm. You made that oh, sound so good. really, really good. So I'm I'm a sucker for chili, and it's, what a great time of year for chili. Oh, it is. At least where and we live, sh- anyway. <laughs> turkey chili usually is kind of hit or miss, but this was like top notch good stuff. Like great, great flavor. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to move on to some news. We have just a few sprinkles of news. Being this close to the season two premiere, there's not too much out there that we haven't already covered. And I hate to get too spoilery at this point. I know it, even if you've watched, you um, kind of know maybe a little bit what to expect. But a lot of the talk is about like what's in the trailer. And some people don't like listening to the trailers or watching the trailers and knowing too much. So I have, I've got a few sprinkles of news. Um, the first one that we've got is from people.com. David Harbour might think humanity is getting less sexy, but he still finds sexiness in surprising places. The 42 year old actor who's best known for playing police chief, Jim Hopper in the Netflix series, stranger things, recently told Women's Health that he finds it sexy when somebody knows how to eat a sandwich. (laughs) Oh, I'm intrigued. So he says, I think about the sexuality of various generations, and I feel like we're getting less sexy, Harbour said. 
I look back to the 70s and 80s, and of course we always want to see a beautiful body, but there's something about showing the sexuality of someone who lives their life. Somebody who knows how to eat a sandwich, who occasionally lets this kind of demon out of them. I want more of that. Those are the people I find sexy, he said. I want to bring love handles and eating sandwiches back. (laughs) I love this man. Oh, my God. (laughs) The actor also opened up about how he was once told he was too fat to play the blob. (laughs) What? (laughs) He says, I auditioned to play the blob in a Wolverine X-Men movie. And at the end of the audition, I squeezed my stomach and I was like, I got your blob right here. (laughs) Then I met with the director and he said, David, you're a wonderful actor, but we're worried about your health, Harbour said. I was like, what do you mean, man? And he was like, we saw you had some fat. We're worried you're not healthy enough to carry the suit. He's like, dude, you're telling me I'm too fat to play the blob? (laughs) (laughs) This is the irony was priceless, he continued. Finally, he asked what he personally was looking for in a woman. This part really interested me. This is where I really tightened into the article here, folks. (laughs) He says, besides an affinity for sandwiches, Harbour described himself as easily swept away. I'm trying not to be as much. I'm better at the fantasy of relationships than I am at the daily real life. But I'm trying to steer myself into a realist. What I find most exciting now is sharp, intelligent, insightful women. People who are deep thinkers, who have sort of a weird way of looking at the universe, are wildly attractive to me. So if I can find one of those gals who can stand me, then maybe I might have something. So Rima, I mean, do you know anybody that kind of would fill that that shoe there, I guess, or those shoes? Boy, do I know <laughs> who would fill those shoes. Listen, David Harbour, anyone that knows David Harbour, I love sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I can put away a bologna and cheese sandwich <laughs> like nobody's business. I could be like uh, Dustin and eat two of them for lunch and not know why. Um I feel like this is like a, a YouTube video. It's like the old uh, Hardee's Carl Jr. commercials where the chicks eating the burgers. Yeah. On the, like, remember in the swimsuit those or not. and like, yeah. well, like uh, washing the car and eating <laughs> a burger at the same time. I'm Sean, you just inspired me. I'm going to make a YouTube video and I'm going to tweet it out to David Harbour. I'm going to eat a bologna sandwich. It's worth a sandwich. shot. <laughs> <laughs> <A bloody> sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny. Oh, my God. Oh. All right, moving on. All right, so we got another story from a Huffington Post. So thanks to its young cast, season two of Stranger Things won't just be good, it'll be damn good. While season one of the show was tame when it came to crude language, the show's creators, Matt and Ross Duffer, were planning on changing this for season two. However, Netflix had some reservations. First, we actually gave in and took out all of the bad language, Matt told Wired, and the kids got really upset. Well, we know one of them is cursing quite a bit in the previous movie, right? (laughs) Uh, Matt says because of the cast that the profanity was well allowed back into the show. I wrote Netflix saying, I've got the army of 11 and 12 year olds. They're, they're pissed off that we cut out all the language. At least let us shoot alternative takes. That was like the day before we started shooting and then Netflix said, okay. Netflix was, Netflix was fine with the language after seeing the first two episodes, according to Ross. Now it seems the profanity is getting cranked up to 11, for season two, but Ross adds that that's nothing compared to how the cast is in real life. There's much more foul mouth in season two than in season one, but in real life, it's far worse. I'm like, I can't believe that came out of your mouth, he said. <laughs> we don't get much of the sense of swearing in the most recent season two trailer, but there's still enough to make you say, hell yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that must be really interesting with all those kids running around the set being around that age and 
<clears throat> like I said, like uh, the character that plays Mike, he's gonna be like, "No, mom, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm prepping for my next film. I gotta practice. I gotta rehearse my lines." <laughs> fuck! Fuck! Fuckity fuck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm so excited for season two. <clears throat> okay, so we have some letters from the Upside Down. This is our listener feedback. Um, Kristen Howe says, "Best episode of the season. So many questions at the end." Where was Hopper going in the car? What was the extent of the deal he made? What's with the slugs coming out of Will? Mm. If Eleven was in the Upside Down, how does she get the Egos? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very important question, uh, Chris and I agree. Yeah. Um, she also says, I can't wait for what's to come on season two. That second trailer was incredible. Andrew Newton says the finale feels like one long movie climax, which is fitting giving the Duffer's brother envisions uh, Stranger Things like an eight-hour movie. Eleven dis- disintegrated before our eyes, and having the promise of a normal life whisked away from her is quite the heavy hit of emotion. When they follow that with another intense, powerful scene as we intercut Hopper losing his daughter with Will's touch-and-go survival. Although they wrapped up a lot, I'm glad we'll get to see the story continue, especially with how left things for Will and Eleven. Thankfully, season two is almost here. We're a week away, folks. Oh my gosh, we're almost there. Steve Brown says, great finale. Did Hopper let Nancy and Jonathan keep the stuff from the trunk? Apparently. Steve the D gets some redemption. Dustin carried L through the school. Steve the D's hurdle over the bear trap was Olympic. <laughs> I was expecting him to run into it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you'd see, uh, you see Jonathan jump on it. He's like, you know, he, you know, doesn't give him a heads up. It's like, he doesn't say jump, Steve. He just says, keep running faster, Steve. Exactly. That oh, was, um, that was pretty Steve epic. Steve got caught in the trap. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, he also says, what's up with the slugs? Where is 11? Cannot wait for season two. He says, I guess I zoned out the first time, but I did remember Hopper putting the food and Eggos in that box last time. That makes things very interesting. All right. And Ashley Snow kind of has a big kind of recap of the, the, the season. So um, so all are all middle school science teachers geeky and full of DIY science fiction tips as Mr. Clark? Love that Nancy is a badass with a gun. I wonder if Eleven's mom thinks she's alive because she can cycle or Psychically? Physically? Psychically? Psychically? Psychically connect with her. When the aunt was relaying the mom's description of her daughter, they kept flashing the scenes of Eleven using those powers. Hmm. How would the mother know that if she wasn't connected in some way? That didn't stick with me the first time around. Will the mom wake up and be a figure? That'd be interesting. Hmm. Steve's change of heart after the fight was a little too quick for me. I didn't peg him for the emotional, mature high school boy who quickly realizes how his douchiness impacts others. <laughs> Eleven breaking the mouth breather's arm. Jerk totally deserved it. Best part was the police officers laughing at his report. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. He's like, he's like, see that tone? He's like, there's no tone. I'm just trying to report the facts. Yes. Just trying you. to take a report. <laughs> They said some girl did it with her mind. That tone! Yes. <laughs> totally mad at Hopper and his bargaining. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, the last episode was so emotional for me and left me with so many questions. I cheered for joy when Eleven gave the mean lady in the goons the death. Papa wanted her to inflict on the cat. I cheered louder when the monster pounced on Papa. I hope he's dead. Steve redeemed himself by taking the bat to the monster and buying Jonathan a new camera. At least I assume the money came from Jonathan. So glad to get Hopper's backstory and loved how they 
juxtaposed it with the search for Will. I cried like a baby when Eleven said, bye, Mike, Aww. and used her powerful screaming powers to vanquish the monster herself. Oh, I did, too. Uh-huh. Uh, she continues to say, totally confused on how Hopper knew to put the food in the box for Elle. I'm hoping we get more answers to that, because that is pretty confusing. Uh-huh. So having been in the Upside Down, does he have some special knowledge? Does he feel guilty for selling her out in exchange for a search for Will? What happened when he got into the black government car? And finally, so totally grossed out when Will coughed up the slimy, slug-like thing. Will he turn into a monster now? New season release coincides with Walker Stalker Con Atlanta. What is a girl to do? You and I have that same question, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, <laughs> are you going to be at Walker Stalker Atlanta? Um, hit me up and, and let me know. Um, I think this episode will be released right before we go to Walker Strikers. So let me know if you're going. We'll have to uh, get a drink or something together. Um, great, great message there. That was um, She sent that to us in um, the uh, message through our Facebook page. So thank you, Ashley. That was very insightful and some really great stuff. So we have a couple of iTunes reviews that we, we'd like to read out and give some shout out and love to some of the folks that take the time, not just to give us the Facebook feedback and, and send us emails and, uh, you know, write things on our Facebook page. So we got a couple of those as well. <clears throat> the first one that we have is from Gary JD one one six six, and it's titled listening to strangers. He says, I'm looking forward to seeing how the only that I know of podcast that takes place in early 1980s Indiana. Great to see the presenters were 80s kids like myself. Woohoo! 80s kids. The second one. Yeah. (laughs) The second one is from Miss Keek, and it's Fun Host. So, what I'm really appreciating from this podcast is the fact both hosts are from a small town and give some insight that an 80s kid like myself never knew about since I grew up in a town where my school population alone was the size of Hawkins, Indiana. So she's excited we told her about um, redneck uh, uh, float trips. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's fun that one host, Rima, has seen the series and the other, Sean, has not. Both perspectives are great. Nothing is spoiled if you're new to the show, and their chemistry is very laid back and easy to listen to. Give it a go. Beware the demigorgon. Aw, thank you. That's super nice. Um, the next one is from the Steve 38 It says, great podcast. He says, love this podcast. Rima and Sean are great giving their thoughts on the first season's episodes. I can't wait for season two. Thanks for a great podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. And our last one comes from 300 Sunshine. It says, host with the most. <laughs> so enjoy your Stranger Things binge with a side of Rima and Sean. A great start to this Things companion podcast with two hosts with a fun and casual chemistry. Love this podcast and can't wait for the next episode. Aw, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Yeah, we get some really great feedback. We've really got some great love for everyone. Um, we appreciate and read everything that you guys send us, good or bad. And <laughs> so <laughs> um, we read it all, and we're always appreciative because it's easy to just, like, download and listen to the podcast, but it's always that extra little, you know, step that people take to give us their own thoughts and perspectives um, as to what you thought meant happened in the show. And I love hearing about it because I don't know everything you know, and, you know, even Sean doesn't know everything. And we like to hear other people's perspectives because it really, I think, um, you know, opens your eyes up to other possibilities about what happened. So thank you, everyone that takes the time. We really do love it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Yeah, that's what, I'm on the same boat. Like, I like, that's why I like doing our shows because, you know, you get that perspective like, oh, I didn't even think about that. It usually triggers other things. So absolutely, really, really love all the feedback. Yeah, thanks, guys. 
All right, so next week, uh, which actually is going to be this week, so this Friday, October 27th, we'll be covering the first episode from Season 2 titled Chapter 1, Mad Max. So there's no description for this episode, but just to let you know, this episode is coming out the week of the release of the Season 2. Um, but Reem and I are going to get together. We're going to cover the first episode and release it that Friday. Uh, with Walker Stalker Con coming up and with me going on vacation soon, we will be skipping a week, but we'll be right back on November 10th as we'll kick into episode two from season two. So please just hang on. I know everybody's going to be binging this show because it's so awesome. And who can wait like for to like to watch the show one once a week or whatever as we're covering it once a week? I totally I mean, get it. <laughs> If if you guys want to just watch the first episode and you need something to kind of give you that entertainment, just let me know. Um, maybe I'll set up a Snapchat. I'm going to be on the beach. I've got a <laughs> nice Stranger Things bikini. I'm going to be flaunting all over that beach. So if you guys want to see that, get a little eye candy, let me know. I, th- I think we need to put you in your Team Steve t-shirt and some Speedos. <laughs> there we go. I can do it. <laughs> That's what needs to happen. But we appreciate everyone's patience um, as these unforeseen circumstances uh, that we have were already planned. Mine was planned a year in advance. I'm almost positive Sean's was probably planned out a year if not more in advance it's, yeah it's been like um, eight nine months yeah and this podcast was definitely put together in um a very quick time frame so um like i said those things were already planned we appreciate everyone's patience um and we totally understand you know understand you know if anybody's upset about that but we hope you stick with us um until we're, we're able to get back from those um events so um so we thought that we would, now that everyone, now that we've covered season one and everyone has hopefully seen it at this point, and we're going to maybe talk a little bit about the season two trailer. Um, if you haven't watched the season two trailer, we know some people don't like to watch because, you know, they're, they can be a little spoilery um, and maybe you don't want to know. So we're going to just chat about it for just a couple of minutes, what we saw in it for anyone that has watched it and wants to listen, please continue on. Um, if you don't want to hear anything about the trailer, this is your warning now. <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, you got, you finally got to watch it. I watched it in July because I watched the show last summer when it came out. So I wasn't, well, I mean, I like watching trailers, so I don't, I don't see it as being spoiled, but you waited, you waited till you just watched the end of this season and you just watched it. What did you think? It's uh, so I, so I really love season one, but seeing this trailer got me even more pumped because I think will, I mean, that will's very much on display in this. And it seems like he's going to be a very pivotal character in this, this season, like season one, you barely get to see much of him. Um, he's kind of the MacGuffin of season one, mm-hmm. but in season two, like it seems like he's all on display. And I love that he's, you know, we kind of tack on to the end of this season. Like he's kind of in the un- upside down. He's not in the upside down. Yeah. And <clears throat> one thing I'm, I'm not sure I'm kind of starting to try and figure it out if it's, if it's just coincidence or not, but the start of season one, the thing they're fighting in the D and D is a demigorgon. And that's what comes from the upside down. Mm-hmm. And the end of the season when they're playing D&D, they're playing this big, like, octopus-like monster. And in the trailer for season two, what do we see off in the distance? This big, like, <sighs> octopus-like monster. Crazy. So I'm kind of wondering if that ties together, but it seems like there's a lot of action. We see a lot of Nancy, a lot of Jonathan, a lot of Steve seems to be in it. And it just feels like it's going to have a really, like, uh, just like a very sci-fi, like, you know, horror feel to it. it happens around Halloween too, which I love. Yes. I love Halloween. 
So getting all that stuff in there is going to be great. The only weird thing is the kids look a lot older, obviously, because it's been a year and kids, you know, after a year look a lot older. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious watching season one and then jumping right into season two, if that's going to throw me off or not. Um, but I'm I'm super like I I'm more excited, I think, for season two than I was for season one. And I was really excited for season one. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It was a very exciting trailer. And like you said, it kind of had this nice flow from where we saw at the end of season one on that last episode where Will is coughing up that slug in, in the sink and he gets those flashes of the upside down and. He's not telling anyone about it. He's keeping a secret. Um, But, you know, it flashes to the kids at the arcade. And, oh, my God, I lived at the arcade. Yes. (laughs) I I didn't get to play it one much, but I remember the one in the mall. You always wanted to go to the arcade. Yes. Well, in my teeny tiny town that I keep talking about uh, that I I grew up in, that reminds me a lot of Hawkins, uh, we had uh, a little movie theater that was a two-screen movie theater. And right next door was, like, this tiny little arcade. So... You know, I was an 80s kid. I was a latchkey kid. This was back in the day whenever it was, like, safe to, like, drop your kids off at the movies. And I remember going and watching movies because I was a movie buff from the time I was a kid. I mean, from the time I was, like, four and five five years old, I've been completely obsessed with movies and especially scary movies. But, um... I remember watching and seeing the kids in their Ghostbusters costumes just killed me because I watched Ghostbusters in the movie theater. Oh, my God. I said that, and it's going to age me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Well, it just came out like a year or two ago. You're talking about the remake, right? I watched it whenever I was three. Right. So does that does that count? (laughs) Um, Anyway, but I remember, you know, going to the movies and then like waiting for my mom to come pick me up because my mom uh, was never on time for anything. She's never, I say it like she's dead. She's not dead. Um, she's never on time for anything. And that was true whenever I was a kid. So, you know, the movie would be over and I, you know, I wasn't waiting outside for my mom because sometimes it might be cold, it might be a little rainy or something. And so I would always go into the movie or into the, the arcade and just play and play and play until my mom got there to pick me up. And, um, so that, that brought back a lot. Now they were playing Dragon's Lair, which I, I was wanting to look up a little bit more information on that game, but I think that was a, pretty popular. I'd never played Dragon's Lair. I remember hearing about it. I don't remember ever playing it. Pac-Man was always like my big arcade game and Hubert and stuff. Frogger. Um, have you ever heard or ever played Dragon's Lair? I've heard of the cartoon, but I don't remember because even the, the game looked more like a cartoon than an actual game. It did. So. Like the graphics for freaking 80s game was that was pretty impressive. But anyway, you know, they're playing. They, they went from like playing Dungeons and Dragons into the first season. Now we've got Dragon's Lair, which looks super cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, then Will's getting this this uh, flash of the upside down like he did in his bathroom from the end of season one. He's the only one that's seeing it. You know, the kids, they're all wrapped up in this game. And he's like, guys, do you see that? And like you said, the the up in the sky, I mean, that thing looked more threatening. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you can't run from that. That just like grabs you or steps on you and you're done. Yeah, that, thing, like, that thing's like massive. That, I mean, that thing probably ate the Demogorgon. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the monster that eats the monster. I mean, that thing was huge. It was scary. And then. You know, we get some really cool, um, more 80s stuff thrown in. Like I mentioned, the kids are in their Ghostbusters costumes. I love, love that this is around Halloween time because I love Halloween. It is my favorite time of year. So I'm super excited that the show is being released around Halloween, that the show itself is around Halloween. It just gets me in the feels for that. And then what do we get to top it off is Vincent Price. 
yes. narrating. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a certain part, whatever it is that he's narrating from. I think it's thriller. from thriller. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was like a specific something that he was referencing or just whatever, but I know it was from the thriller videos. He starts to narrate and oh my God, you talk about like throwing me back in the eighties. I felt like a little kid again, uh, same as these guys. Um, and thriller starts to play. Holy cow. I mean, it got me so excited. Goosebumps. Looks like there's a lot of action. We got Hopper. Hopper's still around. and He's got the beard now, too. Like, it's a pretty thick beard. He does. He does. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm super excited. It, I think that there's going to be, you know, one thing I love about the show is it's set in the 80s. There's always lots of 80s nostalgia. If you grew up in the 80s, it really makes you, you know, really kind of gets you. And this, the season one was in 1983. Now we're in 1984. So there's some really great stuff in 1984 for anyone that was around in that time. Um, so I'm I'm super excited not just to see what happens next and how we're going to hopefully maybe get some answers from season one, but also just all the cool stuff that we're going to see. I'm super excited. Um, if you saw the trailer uh, and want to talk about it, let us know. Let yeah, I'm know curious what everybody's thoughts are. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait. Not too much longer. Just a week. <laughs> Okay, well, do you have anything else to say about the season two trailer? Nope, just the on? fact that I am I'm pumped to get it. Like you know, where I'm hoping it comes out midnight on the 27th, so you and I can watch it and record it. But if not, I'll just be getting up early in the morning and watching it. Either way, I'm super super pumped for I it. I know. Let's hope it's midnight. We'll just stay up and we'll watch it, and then we'll <laughs> get up early and record for all the fine folks that that are patient with us and uh, we'll be listening. But it's going to be weird because it's like we have it like on demand, like we can just go watch any episode that we want. But now we're having mm-hmm. to actually wait. <laughs> we have to wait yeah. that week for season two. So. Um, it's, it's really exciting. I'm the anticipation's killing me. So we're really excited for you to travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. Um, until then you can follow us on Twitter at strange T cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash stranger T cast. You can email us at stranger things cast pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Under the Comic Covers at Podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great Podcastica podcasts at Apple Podcast. And make sure to check out Sean on his other podcast. Oh. What? <laughs> the Language of Bromance comes out every Sunday. Yeah, if you want bikini talk, that's where you go. <laughs> All right, that's our show, Episode 8, Chapter 8, The Upside Down. Until next time, I'm Rena. And I'm Sean. And Ashley Snow is strange indeed. Found it! I knew she was hoarding it. I knew it. Always lying, saying she's out. Small-faced liar. Bye! I found the chocolate bunny! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 